I'm sure you remember on October the 2nd, you might not remember the day, but on October the 2nd, 2006, there was a shooting that occurred at the West Nickel Mines School. It was an Amish one-room schoolhouse in not too far from here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in that area. The gunman's name was Charles Carl Roberts IV. He took hostages and then he shot 10 girls aged 6 to 13. He killed five and eventually killed himself in that schoolhouse. That started something in all, every ministry that I know of uh, where we put in safeguards for our children. We put in safeguards for our churches. And uh, you all have a Christian school here. I'm sure there are safeguards in place here in the Christian school so that that sort of thing doesn't just happen arbitrarily. We never thought of it before that. My wife yesterday, or this early, or I guess it was Monday, uh, she was asked to help with the preschool at our church, at our church school, and the, uh, there was a, they were given a, a, a heads up that there was going to be, I wrote it down so I don't misstate it, an intruder drill. Now, we didn't have them when I was in school. I was old. We used to do the air raid drill. How many of you remember that? We'd get under our desk like that was going to help us. I, that desk wasn't that, that strong, I don't think. But, you know, it was kind of fun uh, to do something different when the, the alarm sounded. And so the other day my wife said that they gave them this note that there's going to be an intruder drill during the day at some point. And so... Uh, being with preschool children, they kind of let the bat- cat out of the bag a little early with them uh, because they would need some extra uh, instruction. And the kids, my wife said, the kids asked her these questions. What is the intruder going to look like? Where will he be? What should we do? Where should we go? By the way, those are all pretty good questions for preschoolers or anybody for that matter. And my wife's reply was, you follow me, and I'm going to take care of you. I'll be like the mother hen, and you be like my little chicks, and you just stay with me wherever I go, and I'm going to lead you to a safe place where you will be safe. When I think about that, uh, you know, we, we have these drills in our schools today because there's danger. We understand that there are people who are lurking that don't have good intentions, but have evil intentions. And so we have to come up with plans to make, uh, make a way of escape, so to speak. Well, you know that, that the church is no different, and I'm not talking about an intruder that comes in with a gun or a knife or a bomb. I'm talking about an intruder that comes in with gossip and slander and negative thoughts and rumors. Do you think they might sneak into your church at some point? Hey, if you don't think so, you haven't been awake long enough. They're coming if they're not already here. And it's important that we know how to handle those dangers when they come. Now, we're here in this little book of Jude, and, and, and it, the, the uh, scholars say that the, the writer of this book was the brother of Jesus. His real name was Judas, but I think he adopted the nickname Jude for obvious reasons. Nobody wanted to be known as Judas, um, just as much as I don't think anybody would want to name their daughter Jezebel. You get the idea. Judas Iscariot had a negative connotation. Judas, uh, he's, he's the English uh, translators of Scripture named him Jude. Uh, I love this book. It's only one chapter. Jude put whatever he wanted to say in these short verses. He didn't need to expound. He didn't need to go on. So I, I like that. I'm, that's kind of the way I am. I don't like people that beat around the bush with me. Are you with me? 
I'd rather a person just say to me, I really don't like you that much, than to pretend they like me and then stab me in the back when I'm not there. Are you with me? I'd rather you come right out and say to me, I really don't like you that much. That'd be all right with me, because I might say to you, well, that's okay. I don't like you that much. No, I, I probably wouldn't say that, but I may think that. But I like people who are blunt. I like it, I like it when people just tell it like it is. Uh, I get mad at my wife once in a while, because every now and then we go in a place, and uh, she says nothing to me on the way in the building. I get in there, and I finally eventually, you know, a half hour later, I go into the restroom, and I look at myself in the mirror, and the three or four hairs I have are all going the wrong way. And I say to my wife, did you not see my hair for the last half hour? And she says, well, uh, you look fine to me. I'm like, honey, you got to tell me when my hair's a mess. I mean, come on. But anyway, that was just for, for fun. I hope my wife's not watching. But anyway, Jude's book is, is blunt. It's to the point. Um, and it deals with some very specific topics. It's a, it's a book that I don't think we spent a whole lot of time in, to be honest with you. Uh, but it was about people who rejected authority and a warning, an intruder alert for those who reject the authority of, of the ministry. It, it, was talking, it talks a good deal, and we're going to get into it, about people who are trying to please themselves and not worried about others. He used illustrations to make his point, like Cain killing his brother Abel and the punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah through the book. Uh, we'll see that as we go through. But he had two goals in the writing of his book. The goals were to expose false teachers that had infiltrated the, the Christian community or the church. Uh, Jude knew that false teachers were often unnoticed by faithful church members. And you know what's sad to me? The devil knows where our weak places are, and he preys on believers who are not paying attention. Are you paying attention? When you come to church, you need to be a believer that's paying attention. When your pastor preaches to you, you shouldn't just oh bow down and, and believe. You need, to, you need to test the scriptures. And I believe you have a godly pastor who studies and, and shares with you truths that he has spent hours on. Uh, and you're blessed with that. But there are a lot of people who are going to churches today that are coming up with really off-the-wall theories and claiming the Bible teaches those things, and there's a bunch of blind sheep that are follow, following along and never testing the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit of the speaker, that is. So it's important for us to realize that the devil realizes that there are some believers in churches that are just kind of going along with whatever happens. He warned about false teachers that will come into the church. And by the way, they're, come, they're trying to get in here. They're trying to get in every good fundamental church. They, they're going to try. Uh, some of them have been very successful. Some of them uh, claim to be, most of them claim to be Christians, but their fruit denies the, the root of Christianity. He also, he also wrote to encourage believers to stand firm, and we're going to look at both of those things tonight. So let's start reading, if you don't mind. I'm going to read a, a, a good bit of this chapter tonight, and I hope you'll stay with me and won't, won't leave me uh, in that pursuit. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, by the way, that is also the half-brother of Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus as well. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. He then begins to, to get into what, that was his, uh, his introduction. Welcome to this book. Now here he, gets, he goes right to the point. Look at verse 3. Beloved, 
when I, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That phrase there, earnestly contend for the faith, listen to me, it literally means to struggle for. To struggle for the faith. He says to us, listen, being a Christian is not, you, you don't get on easy street as a Christian. I have a very dear friend of mine that I, I was, had the privilege to lead to Christ years ago. He and his wife were here at Lawrence's ordination service. They're both, uh, he and his wife from Jamaica. They love your church, by the way. Um, and and he, he, I led him to Christ one day, and a few months later he came to me and he said, Jim, you didn't tell me all, the, all, all that I needed to know. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, it was easy to get saved, but it sure is hard to live for Christ. And I've often, I've often repeated that because it is hard to live for Christ. The Christian life is not an easy one if you're going to live it correctly. I mean, you can just go along with everything and everything will be smooth for you, but if you're going to stand for Christ today... It will involve a struggle. Would you agree with me? If you've been saved for any length of time, it's probably not been an easy road for you to live a sanctified life. At least if you're, maybe you're a whole lot more spiritual than me, but I have to be honest with you, every day of my life is a struggle to live honestly and purely and and full out for God. It's easy for me to backslide. It's natural for me to drift from God. It takes a struggle to stay close with God and, and to stay up, up close to Him. And so he says, earnestly contend for the faith. Look at verse 4. Now here's where he, start, he gets right to the issue. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our, of our God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the descriptions that he gives here. He says they've crept in unawares. That has the idea of coming in and settling alongside. Now, the word that I saw in the commentaries was stealthily. I'd say sneaky. I'm not that sharp. They sneak in, and they come alongside, and they settle down next to you. He goes on to say that they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And Lasciviousness is just unbridled lust, doing whatever they want, whatever feeds them, whatever makes them feel good. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not giving you this in, on, on my words. These are Jude's warnings to us. Be careful of these folks who will be coming into your, to your ministry. He goes on to say they deny the Lord God and they deny the Lord Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, every cult in America and in the world today that is, they, they may be right down the line with the word of God until it gets to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it's there they will deviate. Well, that's good for you. And I believe Jesus was born of a virgin, and I believe Jesus died for sinners, and they can tell you all of that. But I also believe that when they do the but, run. Amen? Because they're, they're denying the Lord Jesus. Anybody that denies the Lord Jesus, I'm going to tell you today, if you're going to end up in heaven one day, it will be because of Jesus and Jesus alone. It will not be because of any religion you have had or any prophet who has come along since Jesus. It will be because of Jesus Christ and not because of any prophet named Muhammad. 
It's got to be Jesus and Jesus alone. But the warning here that Jude gives us is, be careful of these people. They'll deny the Lord God. They're going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, they may not deny that he exists, but they will deny Jesus the important place, the exalted place that he deserves to have. Now, stay with me for a minute. What they'll do is they put their philosophies in the exalted position. Their opinions in the exalted position. And Jesus Christ becomes secondary. Hey, I'm going to tell you, when that happens, we're in trouble. When this church allows anything, anyone, or any issue to take the place of Jesus Christ in place of importance, we're in trouble. And that's what the devil, he's, he's a great distractor. He wants us to put anything in that exalted place. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. He didn't say if we lift up our favorite version of the Bible, it will draw all men to him. It doesn't say that if you lift up uh, membership in a church. No, it's Jesus that has to be lifted up. And what Jude's, his, his warning here right off the bat in verse 4 is, watch out for these people who creep in, and settle in alongside of you in a sneaky fashion and end up denying the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 5. He said, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. I like the way he said that. I'm going to remind you of this, although you already know this. That the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. He says, I'm going to put you in remembrance. I'm going to give you something that you've already heard before. And by the way, I'm pretty sure tonight that what I'm saying to you here, you have heard before. Would you, would you agree? You've heard this before. We need to be careful. We need to be aware. We need to be warned about folks who are coming. And then I'm just going to read through some verses with you. Look, look with me, if you would, beginning in verse 6. And I'm just going to read through verse 13, but I'll comment as we go. He says, and the angels which kept not their first estate. Let me pause and ask, who, what angels were those? They kept not their first estate. That's Lucifer and the th- one third of the angels that fell when he fell. Are you with me? They were angels. They kept, not their, they, they kept not their first estate, left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. He then mentions In verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example. He talks about, in verse 8, filthy dreamers that defile the flesh, uh, that speak evil of dignities. Did you catch that, verse 8? Speak evil of dignities. Can I say to you that there are are always going to be people, and here's here's what really... Uh, Ever since I've been in the ministry, which has been 40 years, it has bothered me how people will believe the worst things about the leaders in their ministry without any question. A pastor can preach faithfully, can minister faithfully year after year after year, which, by the way, most of what a pastor does in ministry, you're never going to see. Uh, you have no idea, and by the way, I do, because I've been a pastor. My phone has rung at 2 o'clock in the morning, and someone's saying, my, my child is dying, or uh, my child is sick, or my child was just in an accident, and I've gotten my clothing on and my shoes on and tried to 
throw some water on my face and driven to a hospital that I'd never been in at 2 o'clock in the morning, sometimes hours away. You don't have any idea of that because your pastor doesn't get out and talk about those things. And he'll, he'll faithfully serve you and minister to you. And, and then as soon as somebody brings one little negative comment, you say, oh yeah, you know what, I've always thought that about him. And you think evil, you speak evil. Uh, not necessarily you, but others will speak evil of dignitaries. By the way, the pastor is the one that's going to get the, the shots the most. People are going to try to take him out. Uh, and, and again, this is Jude's warning. He goes on in verse 9, talks about Michael the archangel contending with the devil. Uh, dropping down to verse 10. Uh, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. The guy that uh, Jude is explaining here is not the kind of person that you and I want to be associated with. Look at, I'm going to drop to verses 12 and 13 just for sake of time. It says in verse 12, These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. Now to us, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, clouds without water, but you have to understand that in Israel, it only rains uh, three months of the year and it's always three straight months in a, in a row. I have heard uh, from a from an Israeli that Israel gets more rain in a calendar year than Ireland gets in a calendar year, but they get it all in three months. The other months of the year that it doesn't rain, they're begging God for rain uh, because it's it's uh, it, they need it. So and and we understand we need it as well. We'd kind of like God every now and then to stop the rain, but uh, they look for it. So when He talks about them being uh, clouds without water. That's a worthless thing. He goes on to say, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withers, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their shame, their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Basically what he's saying is these people are worth less. They're worthless. They come in, they look good like a cloud would look. Oh, you think, oh, we're going to get rain, but it never rains. They sound good, but it's just the ocean and the froth of the, the ocean that, that laps up against the, the beach. It's got no value at all. And so he's basically painting a picture for us of people we need to be aware of and we need to stay away from. So I, I want to get to these. This Actually, that was kind of all introduction. Don't worry, I'll be done on time, I promise you. But I want you to see verses, uh, verse 15. He talks about Enoch in verse 14, but in verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Ungodly is in, the, in that one verse four different times. Do you think Jude thinks these people are godly? No, the people he's describing... He's saying that, uh, that the angels, the Lord's going to come with 10,000 of his saints and, and he's going to expose these ungodly people. We'll know who they are at some point when Jesus Christ returns. He's telling us that God is going to take care of these people. But again, he goes into some further explanation of them. And I want to look at this in just a little detail and then we'll get to uh, the spot that I really want us to hit tonight. He says in verse 16, again, these are characteristics of these people. He said these are murmurers. Uh, that means that they grumble and complain all the time. They, they grumble and moan and whine, I would say. Uh, that's my word. 
they're, they're murmurers. He goes on to say they're complainers. They, they, uh, by the way, that word has the idea of blaming others all the time. They never take responsibility for themselves or their own actions. They're always blaming someone else. It also has the idea of their discontent with their position. They don't like the position they have, so they're going to blame others. It's this idea that if I knock you down, that somehow builds me up. Of course, we know that's not true. And yet, these are the people that, are, that we're being warned about. He goes on to say they're walking after their own lusts. And that th- isn't necessarily sexual appetites, but any kind of appetite. They're following finances or possessions or the praise of men. Or they want to have themselves exalted to a position of honor. All of these things uh, fit that phrase of walking after their own lusts. He said they're speaking, speaking uh, great swelling words. By the way, we've got a bunch of these people today. I, I hate to, well, we just had an election yesterday. We've seen a bunch of people speaking great swelling words. And uh, it just has the idea that it's them trying to make themselves appear wiser than they really are. Um, and we live in a society filled with people like this. The sad thing is that even in our churches, these, some of these folks have crept in Again, unawares, they've settled down alongside of us and they make themselves appear to be wiser than they really are. The reality is that, that uh, and part of this is that they're pompous and they're proud in their behavior. Uh, they're expecting to get their own way by using force. I would say they're bullying people today. I've watched a lot of Christians who have tried to bully other people into believing what they think is true and, and we need to be very careful about these people. Uh, They're hoping to succeed by substituting their many words for spiritual common sense. I don't know about you, but some of the smartest people that I've ever met in my life never graduated from high school. Have you met people like that? I've met some people, there's nothing they couldn't do. A problem pops up, and uh, today what we'd do, we'd run to our computer to Google and, and try to figure out how do you fix that problem these are the people that I know that say, well, uh, give me that, that rubber band over there and, and give me that stick over there. And the next thing you know, especially if they have a roll of duct tape, right? They can fix just about anything. But I've watched some people with very little wisdom from this world who have incredible common sense. And praise God, I've met a lot of people with great spiritual common sense. And those are the people we want to look for. It's not always about uh, the person that can win at Bible trivia. Amen. You don't, some of you don't even know what that is. There used to be a game. Anyway, uh, it's, it's about a person that knows the word of God and can handle it well. He goes on to say in that verse, verse 16 there, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Folks, please be aware that there are people who want to use you for their advantage. And they'll, they'll prey on well-meaning believers who have good hearts and compassionate hearts and tender hearts. And they'll come to you trying to convince you to join their cause. And what they do is they're in, they end up taking advantage of you. Before you know it, you're involved in something you never wanted to be involved in. We need to be careful about these people. Verse 17 begins with a, what word? But. So we're going to see a contrast. Praise God. Aren't you glad for that? I'm tired of all the murmuring, complaining, and all that other kind of stuff. Verse 17, but, beloved, 
Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that you were told there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the Spirit. So he says in verses 17 to 19, listen, here's the good news. God has already given you a warning. Keep your eye peeled for these kinds of people. Don't be deceived by these kinds of people. By the way, you say, Jim, why are you talking to us about this? I just read this last week, and I thought to myself, man, if we have ever lived in a time when these scriptures need to be proclaimed from the housetop, it's today. We are living, I believe, in the times when Jesus could return at any moment. It wouldn't surprise me tonight if on my way home or while I'm here, the trumpet sounds. It wouldn't surprise me. But, but I'm going to tell you, that it's, it's imperative, as I was reading this passage last week, I'm thinking to myself, somebody needs to talk about this in our churches today because we've got these kind of people that have infiltrated the church, and here's what they've done. I want you to pay attention. We still have a great commission. This, that was a good place for an amen, by the way. This is your missions month. month. Missions month. Correct? We still, I'm going to do it again, so get ready. We still have, I hate when preachers do that to me, by the way. We still have a great commission. We have a command. We have a, 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 a mandate that's been given to us. It's not an option. It's not the great option. It's the great commission. We have to go into all the world, preach the gospel, teaching them to observe whatsoever things God has said in his word, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We have a response. That's still in the book. And here's what happens. These people come in alongside. They creep in unawares. They settle down among us. And they convince us that there are other things that are more important than the Great Commission. And I'm going to tell you today, we've got to be on our game. Now, here's what... All of that was to lead up to these couple of verses. There's four things that Jude gives us that we need to do. And by the way, we need to do them today. You need to do them in Faith Baptist. We need to do it in my home church. I need to do it in my home. You need to do it in your home. I need to do it personally, and you need to do it personally. Let's look and see what they are very quickly. Again, what's the first word of verse 20? But, but ye, here they are, four things, beloved, Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There they are, four things. I'm going to give them to you real quick. We're going to be done. The first thing he says is that we need to be building ourselves up in our most holy faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, we, when Terry and I moved to Pennsylvania from Maryland, uh, we were from Pennsylvania, moved to Maryland for 10 years. Uh, three of our children were born in Maryland, Amanda being our last one born there. She's our last child. We moved back up to Pennsylvania. We couldn't find a house that we could afford that could fit our family, so we ended up building a house. Uh, actually, uh, we're there almost 30 years, 29 years. Uh, yes, 29 years uh, on October 31st. We moved in on October 31st, and we had trick-or-treaters come. We didn't have a curtain on the windows. We didn't have a piece of furniture in the house. We were giving them raisins. I mean, one at a time. No, I'm not kidding. We gave them a whole box of raisins. But anyway, uh, but we built our house. And I can remember my best friend from high school was the guy who built our house. And 
Man, he did a great job. But I remember him uh, pouring footers, and then I remember the block being laid, and then I, I remember the uh, studs going up inside and the walls being formed and drywall being put on and a roof being on and, a, and, and, uh, and the shingles being put on the roof. And, and you know what? It was a process. It took two months, but two months, amazing to me. Two months, you could build a house. But it, was, it took time. It took effort, and it took a whole lot of levels of work. So when I look at this phrase, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, I realize that our faith doesn't happen instantaneously. It is a building process. By the way, what does God do to build our faith? He puts us in impossible situations that we cannot answer, we cannot fulfill, and we have to depend on him. And then we see him come through. And that builds our faith one block at a time. We do another, we see another, come to another situation. Some of you are saying, man, I, I, I want God to get me out of this. No, God doesn't get you out. He gets you, he gets you through. He'll help you to build your building blocks of faith if you'll trust him. And it takes time for that to happen. Uh, it, it means that, that you and I have to, we have to believe and we have to, we have to know what the word of God says. By the way, I'm going to tell you right now, this is what you want to build your, your, your life on. This is what you want to build your faith on. This is what you want to build your future on. This is what you want to build your daily decisions on this book. I don't care what you do for a living. If you'll make this book the foundation of your life, you will be the best employer, employee or employer in the world if you build it right here. But you've got to build it on the Word of God. It takes building up your most holy faith. The second thing he says, oh, let me back up. I see a line here that I didn't say that I wanted to. Like building a house, if you take shortcuts along the way, you'll pay for it in the future. Are you with me? My best friend built our house, and he told, I had talked to him about another company. I didn't realize he was in the, in the house building business. He, and I was asking him about another company. I won't mention their name uh, because some of you might have had houses built by them. But he said, I said, what about this company? He said, you don't want them. Why would you go with them? He said, they use the minimal, uh, the minimal specs. Whatever is the minimum they have to put in, they'll put in. He said, for example, they'll put in a two-by-four. I'm putting in a two-by-six. You, you get where I'm headed with that, right? So if you, if you cheat on that end, it's going to catch up with you eventually. Am I correct? You know, it, you know it's the truth. And it's the same with us spiritually. We, we need to, there's no substitute for building up our faith. Number two, he says there, praying in the Holy Ghost. And, and I, I have in my notes, there's no substitute for prayer. I don't know about you, but I have prayed more in recent years than I think I've ever prayed before. My prayer list has gotten so long. When I lay in bed at night, I just ask God to bring them to my mind. And I've got folks who have cancer. I've got folks who are fighting COVID. I've got folks who are in financial difficulties. I've got folks who have been alcoholics and are trying to get away from it. I've got churches that are they're getting ready to close. I've got pastors that I know are under incredible uh, pressure. I've got missionaries that are, are trying to raise. I've got people on my heart and on my mind, and I try to pray and pray and pray because I realize that prayer is what is important. Uh, the Bible tells us in Luke 18:1 that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So don't faint tonight. Pray. Uh, when things are tough, pray. We mentioned these folks in prayer uh, for prayer requests tonight. When we pray and we really honestly seek the face of God, God moves. 
And so I want you to remember to pray. And by the way, I notice that it says here, look at that, at that phrase there in verse 20. It says, praying in the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? Well, this, that, doesn't, that means, and by the way, I think God put that in for most men. Because if men just read praying always, they'd think, oh, I'm praying for a red Corvette. Or I'm praying for a new gun, or I'm praying for a big house, or whatever. But it says praying in the Holy Ghost. That means this. It's got to pass His approval first. And when we begin to pray, saying to the Spirit of God, God, lead me to, to pray intelligently and to pray for what you want. By the way, He will do it. And I've often believed this as well. When we pray in the Holy Spirit, there's times I'm driving down the road and God touches my heart with a person that I know. And I, I just pray for that person. And when I pray for them, I found out later that they were facing, you've heard this before, I found out later they're facing a really difficult time and, and, and God touched my heart to pray for them. That's the Holy Spirit touching my heart. And so I want to be, be obedient to that. How do we know who the murmurers and complainers and all these people that were described in this chapter before? I don't know about you, but I'm gullible. I'm easily fooled. So I need to depend on the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, I like it that when Elijah was hiding in the cave and and God wanted to speak to him. He brought the earthquake, but he wasn't in the earthquake. And he brought the fire, and he wasn't in the fire. And he brought the harsh winds, and it wasn't in the harsh winds, but he was in the what? That still small voice. I'll, I'll share a little secret with you. When Lawrence, Pastor Lardy, was coming here to be your youth pastor, uh, he asked me, by the way, I, I loved his wisdom in this. He said, he said, Dad, you, you've been in ministry for a long time. Would you write down some things that I should consider in the first six months that I'm here? By the way, I've never had a young man ask me that before. I was thrilled. I still have the notes that I wrote him. I wrote him about four or five pages. But one of the things I put in there, yeah, by the way, he probably wished he hadn't asked me after he, after he got to four or five pages. But one of the things that I put in, and I stressed to him verbally, I said, Lawrence, you trust the still, small voice of God. God will lead you if you'll listen. And I really believe that praying in the Holy Ghost is part of that. I really believe that God, listen, we think praying is us telling God what we want, what we need, like our, our Christmas list. It's not that. Yes, we get to communicate with God about what we need. But when we're communicating with Him, it's during that prayer time, if we're praying in the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God can touch our heart about things that we need to do differently. There are many times I'm praying and I have to stop and write things down because God touches my heart and I don't want to forget it. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the third one there. He says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. What a great statement and what a great balance it is. It's so easy for us to love others the way we want to love them. But again, that's not what it says here. It doesn't say just love, uh, keep yourselves in love. It says keep yourselves in the love of God. Tell me, what does the love of God look like? Well, if you really want to know, you just got to look at an old rugged cross and you'll see what it looks like. It looks like a God who was willing to give his own son because you and I were so putrid and so despicable and so disgraceful that we could never imagine touching heaven without the perfect, pure, holy sacrifice of his own son. That's the love of God. And so he says to us, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves, and I like that idea, it's like 
you know, I can love you in, as God would love you a little bit, but then I want to wander out into my own uh, feelings and emotions. And God says, you stay there. Stay in the love of God. Keep your hearts in the love of God. Jesus spoke very clearly. Uh, by the way, the love of God doesn't mean I let everybody just do whatever they want to me. Hello? I remember Jesus going to the Pharisees and saying, Woe, you whited sepulchers. I've always wanted to call somebody a whited sepulcher. I haven't done it yet, but maybe one day I will. I don't know. But you know what? Jesus is love. He was in the love of God when he said that, by the way, wasn't he? But he loved, he loved them enough to point out their error. Because when someone's in error, you're not doing them a favor to agree with them. If you really love them, in love you will tell them, where they've erred and where they need to get right. So that's the third one. And then the last one that he says is looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, the, again, the wording. You'll see that in each of these, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, faith is the key. Praying in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is the key. Keeping yourselves in the love of God, that's, God is the key. And then looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus is the key. Isn't that amazing how he put that out like that? Hey, when we get, so, when we get our eyes off of the, the Godhead, we're in trouble. Would you agree? And it's so easy to do it, isn't it? It's so easy to do it. Listen, I've watched churches lose members of their church because of whether they should wear a mask or not to the church. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to give you one point or another on that, all right? I'm not here for that. But when that becomes the major issue and we forget about the Holy Spirit of God and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we've missed the point. We've missed the point. These are important things. And he says here, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I love how Scripture, I, I looked it up today. There are ten different times where the Bible uses the phrase mercy and truth. Mercy is always coupled with, should always be coupled with truth. It doesn't mean, well, I'm going to show you mercy no matter what you do. No, truth has to be a part of it as well. There's got to be a balance. Are you with me? Mercy has to be balanced with truth. If you have too much truth, you're just smashing everybody into the ground. If you have too much mercy, you're letting everybody run all over you. There needs to be a balance that the Bible gives us. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, or sin is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So it's important for us to have this balance. So as I close tonight, and I promised you I was going to close on time, I think I'm going to do it. Of all of the negatives that Jude lists in those first 20 or 19 verses, he comes here to verse 20 and 21, and he says, put these four things in your life. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus. The next verse, verse 22 says, And if some have compassion, making a difference. When you've done those four things, you'll know how to have compassion on others and you'll make a difference. And he even goes on to verse 23 saying, Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. I want to tell you today, folks, that the challenge for us is to recognize that we are living in days where there are definitely going to be people who try to come in and destroy your church from within. You've got to be aware of who they are. But you can't do it if you haven't built yourself up in, their, in your most holy faith. Are you with me? You can't do it if you're not praying in the Holy Ghost. 
You can't do it if you're not in the love of God. You can't do it if you, haven't, if you don't have the mercy of, of looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus. So these things are important to, to us tonight. I want to challenge you, not because I think your church has a need, but because I'm telling you, I read it last week and I'm thinking somebody needs to talk about this. And so that's why I did it with you tonight. I need it, and I hope you needed it too. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, for the pastoral staff. Give them wisdom as they discuss and plan. And God, we, we as a church here, uh, we need them to have your leadership. And so we pray you give them that tonight. Uh, strengthen them. And Lord, I pray for those who are sick and not feeling well tonight, could not be here. Pray, Father, you touch their bodies and strengthen them. If they're concerned and worried, Father, I pray you, you calm their fears and help them to know that you are still in control. And you are still on the throne. Help us be faithful to you and help us to keep the great commission the main thing in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.